Hey everyone, Josh here. Well, here we are. We are back in lockdown. Uh, last week I introduced this new sermon series, Making Progress. And you got to be able to laugh at the irony. Am I right? We talked about how progress is taking steps forward, making a step. But sometimes it just feels like one step forward, two steps back, right? Or do you ever feel like you're just going in circles, the same thing? I've got to be honest, going back into lockdown really sucks the wind out of my sails a little more this time around. Like, are we really back to where we were 13, 14 months ago? Have we made any progress? I'm sure you're asking those questions this past week. But I think Paul can resonate with that thought. As we're looking at the Apostle Paul, his ministry, his mission journeys, currently as he's writing the book of 2 Timothy, he's in prison. He's literally in lockdown, not for the first time, not even the second time, but for the third and final time in a Roman prison cell that was likely a hole in the ground. Everything Paul is saying in 2 Timothy was said from lockdown. So here's the question. How do we make progress in lockdown? What does progress look like when we're in lockdown? Last week from 1 Corinthians, we said in order to step forward, we need to step together. We talked about unity. Well, we can't be socially, physically together right now. So today's focus is on you as an individual. Yes, you. Not the person sitting next to you on the couch. It's about you. We're talking leadership today. And instead of focusing on official titled leaders like pastors, elders, deacons, the pastoral epistles, talk a lot about those. Instead, I want to talk about leadership in a little more generically, applicably, personably, on a smaller scale. How do you lead your family? How do you lead your friends, your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your classmates? How do you lead you? Because the hardest person to lead is yourself. The hardest person for me to lead is me. So here's the bottom line. In order to step forward, you need to take a step. In order for us to step forward as a church and make progress, each one of us individually needs to be willing and disciplined and lead ourselves enough to take our own individual step. We're in the book of 2 Timothy, and I want you to notice the title of the book. It's not to a group of people. It's not to a church in a specific location. It's not written to the general public. It's written to one person. There's one name as the recipient of this letter, just one name. What does progress look like? It looks like one step. It looks like one name. Paul, in his final imprisonment, before he would be executed, he's taking time, he's taking effort, energy, passion, persistence to build into, to pray for, to express thanks and encouragement to, to support, calling up just one name. Now, last week, we also launched our One Name campaign. Have you been thinking about One Name? Who is it that God would have you pray for, would have you connect with, would have you call, email, text, serve, support, do a grocery run for? Who is it? Just one person in your circle of influence who needs to see and to hear Jesus from you. We're going to talk more about this guy, Timothy, but as we do, I want to give you three things about leadership. So here's the first one. It's cultivated. Leadership is cultivated. Maybe you've heard the saying, born leader. Well, leaders are not born. Leaders are built. Leaders are made. Now, I want to talk to the person out there right now who's turning away from the TV and saying, yeah, just another leadership talk. The one who balks at all this leadership mumbo jumbo. You know who you are. 
You're probably thinking, yeah, I'm not the leader type. I'm not charismatic, I'm not energetic, I'm not athletic, I'm not attractive. I was never the one to be picked first on the playground at recess. I'm not going to be the one up on stage. I'm not going to be one in the video. I'm not going to be the one to stick up in the meeting, to speak up. I'm going to be the guy in the background. I'm going to be the girl who takes the long way around to avoid the conversation. I'm not a leader. I don't have natural skill set of a leader. I'm just more of a follower and I'm content to be that way. But here's the truth. Each one of us is a leader because leadership is influence and leadership must be cultivated. It grows if it's tended and nurtured and it dies if it's not fed or cared for. Leadership it's cultivated. Second Timothy chapter one and verse five, it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Paul being reminded of Timothy's faith, a faith that dwelled first in your grandmother, Lois, in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Lois and Eunice, those are good names, aren't they? You know, godly leadership looks like reproducing faith in others, or you could put it this way. It's disciples making disciples. Have you heard that one? You know, mothers and grandmothers are so key in impressing faith on the younger generation. The biggest factor in Timothy's ministry is the faith passed on from his mother and his grandmother. And that's about the extent of their story. We really don't have much else about Eunice and Lois, except that Eunice was a Jew who was married to a Greek. It's interesting that Timothy's father and his grandfather are not even mentioned in Timothy's story. I wonder if it had been challenging for Lois and Eunice. I wonder if it had been a life full of challenges and setbacks, maybe crushed dreams, but their impact is summed up in this one verse. They pass their faith on to the next generation. And that's all we know. They reproduce their faith in Timothy. They just had one name listed to show for their efforts and they receive praise and commendation from the apostle Paul. Do you want to know if you're a leader? Don't list the reasons why. Don't give your title. Don't give your position. Give the names. Who's following you? Who are you influencing? Timothy followed Eunice, who followed Lois. That's a legacy of faith and nurturing. So Timothy had a godly upbringing from Lois and Eunice. And then he had the apostle Paul as a mentor. Look at verse six. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You probably know that first. You know, Paul mentored Timothy. I can't really think of a better mentor than the apostle Paul. This is the second letter that Paul writes to his young prodigy, Timothy, his son in the faith. Paul met Timothy and his family in Lystra on one of his missionary journeys. And he was impressed with Timothy's passion. So he mentored him for many years before laying his hands on him, ordaining him and sending him on his missionary journeys. Paul sends Timothy to confront false leadership and false teaching in the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is the place where Paul spent uh, the longest in his missionary journey, some three years. First Timothy was the letter that Paul sent with Timothy as he arrived at the church in Ephesus to uh, follow up and instruct him on how to handle the issues in the church in Ephesus. And there were many. There was a season where Paul had Timothy under his wing. Now he's pushing Timothy from the nest to fly on his own. We all need people who believe in the gift that God has given us 
and push us to use it. People who see the leadership potential in us and call it out of us. That's empowerment. That's disciple making. That's leadership development. Timothy watched Paul minister. Then he served alongside Paul and ministered with him. And now Paul is sending him out to his own ministry. It's kind of like raising a child. You know, at first you do everything for them. And I mean everything, right? Parents, can I get an amen? You do everything for your kid. But eventually they can do daily tasks with you. And someday, if you're not there already, your kids will be independent. They won't need you to do everything with them. They can now do it on their own. But you ever feel like you're going in circles with your kids? <laughs> Maybe you felt like that this week. Like, haven't we learned these lessons already? I mean, are you really wetting the bed again? I thought I taught you how to tie your shoes. Do you really need me to show you again? Thank goodness Paul stuck it out with Timothy in those infant stages of leadership. Thank goodness my parents stuck it out with me when I was struggling to grow up. But sometimes parenting, sometimes mentoring, sometimes leadership feels like circles, doesn't it? Am I really accomplishing anything? Haven't we been through this before? Fan into flame the gift that God has given you. You know, not only did Timothy have a godly upbringing, not only did he have a great mentor in the Apostle Paul, but there came a point when Timothy had to take his own steps, when he had to take responsibility for his own self-discipline. Uh, the term fan into flame is the Greek term anazopuro. It means kindle afresh, stir up the fire, fan the flame. It comes from three Greek words, ana, which means get up, bring it back, do it again. Zoon, which means living, and then pur, which means fire. It means bring the fire to life again. Bring life to the fire again. Get up and do it again. Do it again. Do it again. It's cyclical. It's a cycle. We burn wood at home, and I'm sure there is many in the church family who burn wood for heat as well. It's a lot of work. You get all the wood delivered, you cut the wood, you split the wood, you stack the wood, you move the wood to the basement, you stack it again, you move the wood to the furnace, you start the fire, you tend the fire, you feed the fire, you keep the fire going, you rebuild the fire. Do you see the cycle? Some people call that crazy, but... That's how we heat our home. And it happens over and over again. Wouldn't it be great if you could build the fire and then your house was warm for the winter? That would be awesome. But the truth is it's a cycle, like every six hours. And I'm going to start the process all over again next year. It's a cycle working with any living thing, isn't it? It'd be nice if you just had to prep the garden once, water it once, weed it once, and then you just let it go for the summer. And it did it all on its own. It'd be nice if you only had to teach your kids the same lesson once and they never forgot, right? Wouldn't that be sweet? Here's the point. Oftentimes leadership feels like circles, just going in circles. But those circles are actually cycles of growth and progress. Picture it like this. It's like a spiral staircase. You ever walked up a spiral staircase? They have them in lighthouses. You walk in it, you're going around the same circle, but every time you make the turn, it's at a new level a new height, a new perspective, and pretty soon you pop out of the top. It's like the parking garage. You remember uh, the Halifax airport, that place we used to go to, to go on vacation destinations, you know? Probably haven't been there in a while. But when you're driving in that parking garage, you're going around the circles. You're wondering, are we really going up? Are we really going down? Is that the same cement wall? Is that the same car that's parked there? But eventually you pop out, 
and you're at the top of the parking garage, fanning the flame that God has placed within the spirit, the spiritual gifts, our callings, our purposes, and our mission. It needs to be tended. It needs to be retended. It needs to be tended again and again. It's not just enough for your parents to teach you your first steps and for a mentor to encourage you to take more. There comes a point where you need the self-discipline to take your own individual steps. It's not enough to have a godly heritage. It's not enough to have a good mentor. You have to cultivate the calling and purpose within you. The responsibility is yours. Who poured into your life? Who mentored you? Who taught you about life and faith? And are you living that out? You ready for point number two? Leadership. It's cultivated and it's difficult. It's difficult because leaders are willing to do hard things. Leaders do the hard things. Now, if I was trying to sell you on leadership today, that's probably a point that I would just leave out, right? I wouldn't include it because who wants to do hard things? As sinful humanity, we are so predisposed to the path of least resistance, right? It's just natural. Take the easy way out. Take the path of ease. But leaders are willing to do the hard things because they see the benefit and they know that it's right. You know, the regret of not doing the difficult thing is greater than the stress of actually doing the difficult thing. Leaders do hard things. Timothy had some really difficult things in the church in Ephesus to correct. Tough conversations, hard decisions, correcting people that were twice his age. That's tough stuff. Don't be ashamed, Paul says. Look at verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now, let me tell you a little story. I remember this so vividly because it made an impression on me as a middle school student. We're living in Ontario at the time. We're at the local Tim Hortons. We're getting lunch. I totally remember this. It's imprinted on my mind. I can see everything in the restaurant. I'm getting my tray with my lunch. And it's back when Tim Hortons did soup in a bread bowl. Do you remember that? Terrible idea, but it was hilarious. And uh, I was alive to see it happen. Eating soup out of a bread bowl. But I'm carrying this back to where my family seated. And I so remember the couple sitting right over here as I'm turning the corner around the garbage cans to where we're sitting. There's a gentleman there. And he sees my bracelet. It's a WWJD bracelet. Do you remember that campaign? What would Jesus do? It was everywhere. Those bracelets were super popular. You still see them once in a while. So I'm wearing that. I'm like 11, 12 years old. I haven't grown into my height yet. I'm a really awkward middle school student who's shy and embarrassed. And I'm turning this corner. He says, what's your bracelet all about? I've seen those bracelets ev everywhere. And I, I don't know what it stands for. Can you explain it to me? Now talk about an opportunity, right? Sit down with that guy and say, well, it means what would Jesus do? And Jesus is my king. I've given him my life because he gave his life for me. Of course, I want to live my life for him. But you know what I said? As an embarrassed, awkward 11-year-old boy, I said, I don't know. And I kept on walking. And let me tell you, that's such a small and seemingly insignificant conversation and interaction but it weighed on me and I felt the guilt of that. Why was I ashamed? Why was I embarrassed? Why wouldn't I take that opportunity? I would love to have that opportunity now and sit down and explain it to somebody. You know, in this time, in the book of 2 Timothy, it's about AD 66, 
Emperor Nero Caesar was in charge of Rome, and he was a crazy man. He's murdering Christians. I mean, he's got Christians on stakes in his garden as, as uh, lights to light his garden, lighting them on fire. Following Jesus often cost Christians their very lives. I mean, Paul is sitting in a prison. He's awaiting his execution. He's going to lose his head for being a follower of Jesus Christ. To associate with Paul or to be known as a Jesus follower in this day could cost you your life, your freedom, your family, your livelihood. But Paul says, that's what Jesus did for you. Why would Timothy become a leader in a church in a volatile, dangerous Roman government who could easily have him arrested, beaten, or beheaded? Well, because Jesus embraced that reality for him. Jesus gave his life for Timothy. So why wouldn't Timothy be willing to share in suffering for Jesus. So don't be ashamed. Godly leaders are open and honest about their relationship with Jesus. And they're willing to do the hard things. Suffering is a sign. Let's look at verse 11. Paul says, For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Now, why did Paul suffer? Paul suffered because he was appointed a leader in the church. Did he suffer because he was a bad leader in the church? No, I don't think so. Did he suffer because God was upset with his leadership? I really don't think so. He suffered because he did a good job. Suffering was part and parcel with his leadership role. So many times we run from hard things. We avoid suffering like the plague in North America. We want the easy. We want the convenient. But what if your fear, what if your anxiety, the difficulty in your calling was actually an invitation to jump in with both feet? You know, there comes a point in swimming lessons where you get in over your head to know that you can really swim. The best place for discipleship is in the deep end where you're in over your head. Some of the most important and most memorable lessons we learn are learned in pain and disappointment and struggle and stress. Do you remember seeing how your dad reacted when he got into that fender bender? What did he say to the other driver? Do you remember what your mom told you when she caught you behind the woodshed? Do you remember what your teacher's advice was when you failed that course? Remember what your boss said when she had to let you go from your position? Paul is in prison. He's facing execution. Timothy's correcting difficult issues in the Ephesian church. Eunice probably had a difficult relationship with her husband, who is a Greek. All of these things are climates for leadership. When the going gets tough, leaders step up. Leaders are born and built in adversity. In confusing times, it's the cultivating ground that leaders are birthed in. You want to be a leader worth following? Live out your faith and stand up for Jesus especially when it's hard. And for a lot of us, it's hard right now, isn't it? Well, let me give you a promise that might help you out. Look at verse 12. Paul says, I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am convinced. Remember Hebrews chapter 11? We talked about those two words, conviction, belief. I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day that which has been entrusted to me. He is able to guard. Now, let me ask you this. Get this picture. Would you have more courage and less fear if you had a 300-pound bodyguard walking around with you everywhere you went? Like, walk down that dark alley. Sure. 
Because I got my bodyguard. Sleep soundly in a dark and empty house. Sure, because I know my guard is stationed at the door. You know, so many leaders are scurrying around right now in worry and stress and anxiety. I've felt like that. What's going to happen to my business? How am I going to keep my kids up to date with their schooling now that they're at home? What's church going to look like in this season? Paul's in prison. He can't be at the churches where all of these issues are plaguing. What can he do? His faith is in the one who holds it all. The ministries that Paul started, the friends, the young leaders, the infant churches, God is able to guard. You know, sometimes the hardest thing as a leader is after you've done all that you can do to let go of the results, to leave them with God, because he is able. Do you believe that today? Look at verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. In the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells with us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Sound words, the pattern, the good deposit. That's our core value of truth. We need to know the Bible. We need to know what God says about himself and about us in his word. How can you lead unless you know the truth? How do you know if you're leading your family, your friends, your significant other, your kids? How do you know if you're leading them rightly unless you're in the word of God? Teaching sound doctrine is so key, but living it out is critical. Both are difficult because it's so much easier just to tell people what they want to hear, right? Just go with the flow. But leaders do hard things. Living rightly can be difficult. Refusing to cut corners. Practicing what you preach. Paul says to Timothy, follow the pattern. I can guarantee that Timothy saw Paul living out what he believed. Telling the truth is not necessarily the hardest part. It's living the truth out. It's easier to hear on Sunday and harder to live out on Monday. It's easier to tell your kids to be kind and harder not to blab about your terrible coworker at the supper table, right? But Paul says, you've heard my teachings and you've seen how I've lived them. Now live it out yourself. Follow my example. And here's the truth in verse 15. This is going to be too hard for many. Paul says, you are aware that all who were in Asia, that's strong language, all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. There's some good names for you. I don't know if that's how you pronounce them actually or not. Sometimes leadership is too difficult and people end up throwing in the towel, giving up, turning away before they accomplish the job. Um, I've been keeping up with friends in this season, as I'm sure you have, and it can be difficult. But my friends uh, in New Brunswick, Thomas and Beth, they just made it through the process of becoming foster parents, and I'm so proud of them. But they were telling me about the process. To become a foster parent, it is very tough. It's designed to be tough. It's purposeful because they don't want just anyone being a foster parent. They want to be sure that the applicant is committed, that they're willing, and that they're there for the right reasons. They asked them all sorts of deep questions, like about sexual history, about um, whether or not they would want a child who smeared feces on the wall. Like, that's some really deep, creative conversation. You know, to be a leader worth following, you need to be willing and committed in doing hard things. Leaders don't take the easy route. Now, 
Let me give you the third and final point about leadership that I want to give today. Leadership, it's cultivated, it's difficult, but it's a partnership. It's a partnership. Jump to chapter 2 of 2 Timothy with me and look at verse 1. Paul says, You then, Timothy, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, this isn't some motivational self-help, you can do it kind of leadership talk. The reality of the gospel is you can't do it. You really can't. And you need a savior. Maybe you've been listening to this message so far and you've been beating yourself up. I just need to try harder. I just need to try harder. Why can't I do it? I'm not disciplined enough. Well, the truth is, if it was up to me and my strength, I'd be done. (laughs) Because I'm not that strong. I'm not that disciplined. I'm not that courageous. How has Paul made it through shipwrecks and beatings and stoning, starvation, snakebite, three imprisonments? I mean, you can guarantee it's not because he was a really unshakable leader, although he was, but he knew the one who truly was unshakable, the rock of his salvation. And his confidence, his conviction was in Jesus. You realize that grace is unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. The only reason our leadership, our parenting, our mentoring accomplishes anything is because God takes it and makes it something. If we're not relying and strengthened on the grace that is in Christ Jesus, then what are we accomplishing? What do we have to rely on? You know, it's when you realize and admit your inadequacy that the grace of Jesus has a place to reside in your heart, in your faith, in your leadership. In trust and empower. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. And what you've heard from me, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You want to you multiply your leadership efforts? You want to really know how to make progress? Then partner up with other faithful leaders whom you can entrust the message to, whom you can entrust the mission to. Why do we try and do it on our own? I mean, we know that we're stronger together. The cliche is true. We know unity is a big deal in making progress. So why do we try and do it on our own? One reason might be control. I know control is a big deal for me. I like control. I like to have a handle on the project. It can be hard to let go. You know, the term entrust that Paul uses here literally means to place and to let go. It's like giving a gift. Pass it on. Make disciples. Reproducing faith in the next generation. You haven't given someone something unless you let them take it and you trust them with it. It's like the picture of the deep end of the pool. There's no floor for your support. You have to trust that you've learned how to swim. It's like when the child becomes independent, you have to be willing to let them go. How bad is it for a child's development if you never let go? Just picture the mom who's always holding their child's hand. They don't want them to trip and fall. They want to help them up the stairs. Well, if that same child is 10 years old and they've never learned to walk on the stairs by themselves, not because they have some sort of developmental issue, but because the parent is unwilling to let them go, well, then you're not trusting your child. You're you're harboring their development. You're not allowing them to grow. You're not giving them opportunity. Same goes for empowerment and delegation. If you're you're partnering in leadership, you have to be willing to let go of some of the control. 
Let the person lead. Let them run point. Let them set the table on their own. If you don't ever let them try and fail, then how will they learn? Now, I'm coming to the conclusion of my sermon today, and Paul gives three pictures. Three pictures that that I want to bring this all together with. The first picture, he talks about the soldier in verse 3. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Soldiers are truly cultivated. I mean, think about being a soldier. You have to go through boot camp. You have to uh, go through training. Soldiers are willing to do hard things. They're willing to really suffer for the cause of freedom, sometimes laying their lives on the line. Soldiers work together. Paul would have been referring to Roman soldiers with their cleated sandals and their interlocking shields. They stood as one, united. The only way to defeat the Roman army would be to separate them, to get their shields separated. Paul gives a picture of an athlete, uh, which he has given numerous times. Look at verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Athletes are built in the gym. The competition that everyone watches on TV, the Olympics or whatever, it's just a few short minutes, just a small snapshot of hours and hours, early mornings, training, weightlifting, running, recovering. The best athletes train the hardest. They push themselves to the limit, but they don't do it alone. They have training partners. They have sparring partners. They have coaches. They have nutritionists. And then look at this final picture that Paul gives in verse 6. The farmer. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. You know, farmers spend more time cultivating than anyone. Year after year, season after season, early mornings milking the cows, late nights working the fields. Farmers work hard and long hours, but they don't do it alone. Farming is a community. It's a family work. Farmers helping farmers. Let me close with this. Leaders lead, soldiers fight, athletes train, farmers work hard because these all have their eyes on the mission, on the harvest, on the gold medal, on the fight for freedom. They're willing to suffer for a time and embrace hard things because they see the vision, they see the mission. They partner with a team Because we know we're stronger together and you can't last alone. I want to leave you with this thought. You are a leader. Whether you would call yourself a leader or not, you are a leader. You have influence. And for the sake of those following you, it's time to step up and lead. In the struggle of a pandemic, in another lockdown like we find ourselves in today, This is not the season to sit back and wait until everything is over. This is the prompting that God is sending us in the difficulty of this season to step up and lead. If we're going to step forward as a church and make progress, each one of us individually needs to take a step. You need to take a step today. I'm calling you to leadership today. What does it look like for you to lead in your context right now, today, this week, in your family, your job, with your friends, with your neighbors? What does it look like for you to step up and lead? 
Have you been cultivated? Are you willing to do the hard things? Are you partnered in a community of people and leaders? It's time to lead today. Can I close in prayer this morning as we end this service? Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you so much for who you are. God, I praise your name today that we don't have to lead in our own strength. We might feel totally inadequate, but God, that's where the gospel meets us, on our knees, at the end of our rope, when we realize that we can't do this in our own strength. When we come around to another lockdown, we're looking for hope, we're looking for purpose, the gospel meets us there. Your mission and your purpose meet us there. God, I pray that you would give us the discipline, that you would give us the fortitude, that you would give us the strength and the courage to step into this hard season, that we would lead in our relationships, in our family, with our kids, with our coworkers, with our neighbors. God, that we would lead ourselves, that we wouldn't let our mind run wild, that we wouldn't let our thoughts wander, that we would lead our heart, that we would guide our thoughts according to your word, that we would be strengthened in your grace and might. God, we thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear as we've read this morning. God, thank you for all that you've given us. We pray for leaders to be born in this season. Help us to step up, Father. I pray for our church family now, for our community, for this lockdown, for those who are sick, for our government as they make decisions and protocols, for first responders, for nurses and doctors. God, I pray for those on the front lines in this fight against COVID. God, I pray for those of us as a church who are on the front lines in the fight against sin. That God, you would help us to be leaders building your church. Thank you that you have promised to build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We leave the progress up to you, Father. We leave the results up to you. Let your will be done in this season, God. In Jesus' name, amen.